Acts chapter 16, verse 14 through 31. I'm going to read it. Normally, I don't read a big old passage, but I'm going to read this because I think we need to understand the context of what I'm going to say. And what I'm going to say, I have never done a sermon on this passage like this that I know of, though I have preached on this passage, and everybody that's preached much have preached on this passage, no doubt. Paul has a Macedonia called the Macedonian vision, where a guy in a vision said, come on over. And so Paul goes over to Greece from Turkey, and he uh, is called of God to go there. Now, a couple other places that he wanted to go, the Holy Spirit forbade him to go. Now, that's interesting to me because everybody's lost. In any area he wanted to go, they were lost and needed to be saved. But the Holy Spirit said, I don't want you to go here. I don't want you to go here. People were lost. A need does not constitute a call. Get that, take it home. A need does not constitute a call. We have a great need in the bus ministry, but you may not be called to be in the bus ministry because it takes a special called individual to last in the bus ministry. But you may have a call, and whatever that call is, and you find out from God, jump on it and do it because God will empower you to do his call. So in Acts chapter 14, a certain woman named Lydia, seller of purple of the city of Thyatira. Now she was from Thyatira, but they, the, 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 this whole happening was in the, the city of Philippi. Which worship God heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, she attended the things were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized, notice when you get saved, you get baptized. Now if you're in there this morning, you've been saved, you haven't been baptized, God bless you, but you need to get baptized. Because you can't look through the book of Acts without finding people who got saved and got baptized. They got saved and got baptized. They got saved and got baptized. Look, Jesus got baptized. All the apostles got baptized. The disciples that followed Jesus got baptized. John the Baptist, the uh, people who followed him got baptized. People in the book of Acts got baptized. I think you ought to get baptized and quit, quit dragging your feet on that thing. Well, I don't like water. Well, you'll get over it. She was baptized in her household and besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful uh, to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So they had a place to stay in Philippi. It came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination, Menas, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. You may want to mark that verse. I'm coming back to it. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, notice in verse 17 what she cried. These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show us, show unto us the way of salvation. I don't think a thing wrong with that. There's not one thing wrong with that sentence and what she was saying. So we'll talk more about that. And she did, how many times, how long she did it? She did many days she did that. But Paul, being grieved, finally after many days, turned, said to the Spirit, said to the Spirit, which was in the damsel, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. When her masters saw the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew him out of the market, drew him out of the marketplace under the rulers. And brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. 
and, and to teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. The multitude rose up in a fervor of emotion. That's not in the Bible there. I added that. And rose up together against them, and magistrates rent, and notice the violence with what they, they rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. When they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust, notice the violence of the word, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, this is a text verse really, at midnight, Paul and Cyrus prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loosed. The keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had been fled. He was in a mess, because it was his life for their life. Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, because it was pitch black, and sprang in and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Cyrus and brought them out and said, Sirs, this is a very, very popular verse in the New Testament and well memorized. Sirs, what must I do to be saved. And maybe that's your question here today. You've been searching, you've been going to churches, you've been visiting, you've been looking at the Bible. You may have come to the conclusion, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. The and thy house there was a prophetic statement given to them by the Holy Spirit that their house would, that the people in their house would be saved as well as them. This passage has been plowed through many years. As I said, most Sunday school kids up through the sixth grade, if you mention the Philippian jailer, they'll know the story in the Bible, the account of the Philippian jailer. They'll know it. As we relook at this passage this morning, for many of you, I'm going to come up with something a little different maybe than you've ever heard before on this passage something I had never looked at before as I went through this passage, I believe God gave me. This passage shows what maturity looks like. What do you see here? We see two mature believers, Paul and Silas, doing God's will, preaching the gospel. They're helping people. They're being harassed by the world as they do the will of God. They take it patiently for many days. And I think it's important you note that many days there, this damsel kept saying this, these are the men of God, these are the speak to show us the way of truth. Because Paul was not trying to do a show. He wasn't going around casting demons out around every corner. He wasn't going around casting demons every time he saw somebody with a demon, he didn't go cast him out. This woman did this for many days. How many is many? I don't, you know, if I ask you what many, we'd have different answers from all of you. Maybe 30 days, maybe, maybe uh, 50 days, but many days. 
she did it. Finally, he got to the end of himself on it. This word damsel, I looked it up, means a young girl, probably a young teenage girl. But something must have been wrong with what she said because what she said was not wrong. What she said was exactly right. But something that we don't have in the Bible must have been there. It just must have been in the wrong tone. One thing about the Bible is we can't pick up tone. And when it uses the word rent, it helps you to pick up some of the emotion of the event. When it uses the word cast, you get kind of some emotion of the event. So to a point, language can give you some of the emotion, but really it's not like being there. I mean, wow, there's sounds, smells, everything going along with being there. And so she was saying this, was it in a mocking spirit? Did she say it in levity? Oh, oh, these men, these are the ones who show us the way of truth. You know, maybe it was done like that. But something I can tell you was wrong with, with what she did in her tone because Paul was a mature believer. And eventually he got grieved after many days hearing her say this. Obviously what she was saying was hindering their ministry and what they were trying to do there. It was maybe driving people away, I don't know. But he got grieved. I think something to learn from being, him being grieved is there's an end even to the patience of a mature believer. I was pushing you right to the end of it. Finally, Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, turned around and commanded the Spirit and freed the damsel of her slavery and possession. And by the way, I hope from this passage that you understand saying is wrong. Hopefully you understand fortune-telling is wrong. I hope you, get, hope you get from this passage that the source of fortune-telling, soothsaying, uh, card-reading, palm-reading is of the devil. Demonic. Stay away from all of that stuff. It warns, you in, it warns you in Deuteronomy, I think it's Deuteronomy 18 or 13, I can't remember which chapter, but one of those two chapters that warns the children of Israel, this land which I'm giving you and these people which you're going to overtake, they're caught up with soothsaying, they're caught up with fortune telling, they're caught up with counseling demons of every kind for all kinds of information. Stop that. Don't do that. Don't have any part of that. That's why I'm driving them out ahead of you to get rid of that. You born again believers, you shouldn't be going. What are they? What are they used to put in a newspaper? Uh, you're, you know, every month, what, people say, well, "What's your sign?" It's the cross. What's my sign? It's the cross. I was born in December, and doesn't make a difference. December doesn't make a bit of difference unless you were born in January. Then you were born. It doesn't make any difference what month you were born. That you're going to be a certain kind of personality. You're going to be a certain kind of this. You're going to go a certain place and do it. Stop that. That's of the devil. That was a demon. That this woman was able to read the future. Yet successfully, Sue say, there's some 
I mean, here's the difference between God and the devil. God's right 100% of the time, never wrong. The devil's right 60, 70% of the time, wrong 40% of the time. It's not that he's not right sometimes. Sometimes, but you don't understand. I went to a place, they told me something, it actually happened. Well, whoop-de-doo. Let me tell you, if God's in something, in fact, he said in, in a Pentateuch, he said, if, one, if somebody comes in my name and prophesies, if they're wrong one time, take them out and stone them. Hello? That stopped a lot of TV evangelists, I'll tell you that. If they're wrong one time, that means they could be right 99 times, and most of us would be impressed if somebody could tell the future 99 times. But if that one time they say it wrong, take them out and stone them because they're not of me. Because God isn't wrong ever when he says something. Boy, get that. That's just a side note. And also that she caused, one of the problems was the reason they got beat thrown in jail is because she was making money for people. It's been said, follow the money and you'll find a problem. It's always about the money. The love of money is the root of all evil. It's about the money. You want to get somebody to get upset, hurt their money. Real Christianity, when you get born from above, changes your whole life. It changes your life financially. When God comes into your life, he gets a hold of your finances and makes them his finances. Uh, it changes you physically. It'll, make, it'll bring you in control. We're to, we're to do everything in, in moderation. And it'll help you physically. You'll stop drinking, cussing, smoking dope, smoking all kinds of stuff that you shouldn't be smoking. And you'll, you'll stop cussing most of the time. And it'll start changing you physically. When you go to the doctor, the first thing I do, you smoke. How long ago did you smoke? Did you smoke when you were an infant? Yes. <laughs> I haven't smoked since I was 18 years old. And when I go and fill them reports out, they want to know. I don't want to put it on. Just to... If I smoked at 18, it could not be affecting me with my Google doctor degree. Being born from above will change you emotionally. It'll take you from oh, some sour, bitter, angry person and make you sweet. Haven't you noticed? <laughs> It'll change you spiritually. It'll give you insight, let you see things to come through the Word of God. It'll change you politically. You want to help America politically? Go soul winning. Tell people about Jesus. Pass gospel tracts out. Share what God's done in your life. When that person gets saved, they will change their political views. How radical will they change them? They were for abortion before they got saved. After abortion, after, after salvation, they're against abortion. Now that's radical. I don't, you wouldn't be able to talk somebody out of that 
for if you talk from here, you'd never be able to talk. You'd never be able to change them on that political view. Once they get into that political view, they're going to die for that political view about being for abortion. Oh, don't take the freedom of women away. But when you get born from above and realize life is from God and life is precious no matter what, t- what part of, what time of birth it may be, you're going to be against abortion. You're going to switch your political view. And yes, you'll switch who you vote for. You're not going to vote for a homosexual. Why? It's an abomination to God. Changes your political view. You're not going to vote for some immoral, wicked person doing immoral things. Why? Because it's against God's word. Bible says no adulterer is going to be in heaven. No fornicator is going to be in heaven. So you wouldn't want to vote for somebody who was an open adulterer or fornicator, right? I mean, you wouldn't do that. That would be crazy. You wouldn't want to do that. So, It changes all of those areas financially and physically and emotionally and spiritually and politically. And when that happens, that's when the persecution starts. That's what happened to Paul and Silas. The reaction of a mature Christian when things go bad, that's in verses 20 through 31. God allows his mature children to take a beating for him. That's my first statement about that. I wish I could tell you God was going to protect you and you never have any, and you never get beat by the world, but you will if He desires you to. Mature believers understand that they are sheep, they are like sheep for the slaughter. Now this might be a little, t- if you're not mature here this morning, this could be hard for you to digest because this is meat. This isn't bread or fish or milk. This is meat. Paul and Silas were mature, solid believers, man. And, and they, they could take a beating. God would not tempt you above that which you're able. Do you believe that? That's what the Bible says. So if he doesn't tempt you above what you're able, he wouldn't have let them get beat unless they could, unless they could take it. And they got beat. And they got beat badly. They understood that Romans chapter 8, verse 36 says, For it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. That's a tough verse. So I go before God and say, God, my body is your body. My life is your life. For me to live as Christ, to die as, ooh, to die as gain. Philippians, by the way, that's the book of Philippians, the book of the church of Philippi. Philippians 121. If you do not understand what I'm talking about right yet, if you're here wondering what is that boy talking about, you're not mature yet, and that's okay. It's a growth period. I mean, you're not to the place where you believe the Bible to the place of testing it. See, there's two kinds of belief. When Jesus told, when Jesus was walking on water, do you notice there was only one of them? One of them boys wanted to come out on the water with him. Where were the rest of them? They were in the boat. Jesus, y'all look at me like you don't know that story. Do you know walking on Jesus walking on water? He's, Jesus comes to him by night walking on water. They see him. They think it's a ghost. They're scared. And he says, no, it's I. Be not afraid. And, and, and Peter says, I want to come out in the water. I want to come out in the water and walk. The rest of them believed that they could walk on water, but they didn't believe it like Peter. That's the difference between beliefs. 
You can have a belief that doesn't motivate you to do it, and then a belief that motivates you to do it. One believes that God could allow them to walk, but they're not willing to test it. The other belief says, I believe God could allow me to walk on water, and I'm willing to test it. Paul, a mature believer, has that kind of belief. They're willing to test the promises of God as God reveals it to them. They'll try it out. This is, a, this is an understanding of a mature believer. A mature believer sings while their back is oozing blood and pain is racking their body. About eight weeks ago, I had the shingles pretty badly on my left, left side and my back and up under my arm and down my arm. I can tell you this, shingles is, shingles is, a, is a disease created in hell. It's mean. I mean, it's painful. I've had gout. That's another one. You can't touch, you can't put a sheet on. When you got gout, you can't put a sheet on your skin. It's so, so painful. You say, unless you have it, it's hard to understand what I'm talking about. How many here have had the shingles? Raise your hand. God bless you. Now, some of you have it easy. Some of you have it worse than others. But I, I had a pretty mean on one side of my body. It was pretty mean. And during the shingles, I tried to do what these mature believers were doing. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and he's watching over me. I didn't tell you it was good singing, but I tried to sing. Honestly, I tried to sing while I was in pain. When I had migraines, I had followed by the migraines for four days. I tried to sing while I'm in pain because that's what mature believers are. We, well, how can they do that? And not only do they sing while, they had, while these boys had oozing blood oozing out of their back, nobody treated their wounds. They were just mixed in with the filth of the inner prison there. They prayed loudly the praises to God while the rats ran around them trying to lick some of that blood, while the smell of feces filled the air, while the old filthy wood stalks had cut into their ankles and taken the skin off their ankles, and the rats were trying to lick some of that blood and maybe eat some of that flesh that was scraped off of them. They were singing... The, and praying the praises of God. Think about it. Question yourself. Where would I be in that situation? Maturity does not allow anger to overcome faith. No. Now, they could have been mad. Here I am, God, preaching the gospel. Here I am representing you. And, and uh, you told me to come over to Macedonia. I went over to Macedonia, the church of Philippi, and uh, we found some believers, and we had some people getting saved. And, and this one woman, man, she harassed me for days and days and days, and I didn't cast the demon out right away. I didn't do that. I knew it was going to cause trouble. I didn't do it. But eventually, after many days, and it was hindering our ministry, I just felt led to, cast this little this demon out of this damsel, and the demon came out, and, and the, they grabbed us and brought us into the just, justice system and, and didn't even ask us any questions. They just rose up against us and whipped us, throwing many stripes. That's probably 
40 stripes save one. It's probably like up to 39 stripes under the Roman law. You weren't allowed to beat somebody over 39 stripes. I couldn't even imagine 39 stripes. And then, you know, they've got drug into the prison. We got, we got thrust into the inner prison. They didn't kindly handle us. They grabbed us and threw us into this. And this inner prison had had people in there. They died in there. The rats had been living in there. They the, the fecal material's in there. It's wicked. It's dark. You can't see. It smells wicked. They put our feet in these wood stocks. Oftentimes, they put your feet above your, above your, uh, ab- about, they put your feet about this high to where you, your back, that back, that sore back would lay on that old muck and mud that they laid in the inner prison. Am I giving you some visual on this? And they, sang praises and sang the songs of Zion and they prayed to the Lord and gave him the glory. And I somehow they, they must have prayed enough to give the gospel too. Maturity does not allow pain to overcome faith. Maturity does not allow bitterness to overcome faith. Maturity does not allow despair, and surely that would have wanted to be upon them, to overcome faith. Maturity does not allow appearances of abandonment. An immature Christian would say, God, he must have abandoned us. I had a well-meaning, I've said this many times, a well-meaning Pentecostal woman come to me one day and say, God would never want you to have to suffer God would never want you to have pain. And I thought, what world are you living in? Where are you coming from? Well, she said, the Bible, God is a God of love, and a God of love would never want you to have pain or never want you to suffer. It's, I said, that's your God, but that's not the God of the Bible. And you can make up your God to want anything you want him to want. You can make your God to love anything you want him to love. You can make your God to be any way you want him to be. But if you're going to worship the God of the Bible, then you're going to have to accept what he is and who he is. And if you're mature, you're not going to get bitter. You're not going to be, I have met hundreds of people that are bitter at God, hundreds of them, mad at God, angry at God. God took my child. God took my husband. God took my wife. God financially ruined me on Black Tuesday. God did this. God did that. God did this. I just want to tell him, what'd you do? So, I believe the song when we sing says it exactly right. It says, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Let me say this. Anybody can live a glowing Christian life when they're not being tested. Anybody should be able to claim to be a Christian and have a pretty good testimony when they're not under pressure, when things are all going good. But God won't let that stay that way because it's under pressure where you learn to trust God. It's under pressure that you see the hand of God. It was in the furnace 
that the three Hebrew boys saw God. It was in the lion's den that Daniel really had a new relationship with God. God saw the faith in Paul and Silas as they sang in the midst of their pain, as they sang in the midst of their despondency. There's, you know, typically would be dark, depressive area. And it pleased him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. How do you get faith? A sailor does not become a good sailor and calm seas. A sailor becomes a good sailor during storms. We'll talk more about that tonight. God tests you. And he doesn't give you a test you can't pass. If you'll trust him, if you'll believe what the book says about him, you'll pass. And you'll be, you'll be, you, you, you begin to grow and mature. And God marks his, his mature believers. He marks them as his own. Paul said in chapter 6 of Galatians, verse 17, he says, From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. What is? I looked the word up. It means brands, scars, or wounds. It's like a brand of a cattle. If I have cattle and I'm a rancher, I take a hot red brand and I a hot red tool that has my brand on it. And I... Do you think that that cow or that sheep or wherever I'm likes that red hot thing to touch their hinder parts? They, they, whoa, that's got to be bad. But I'm marking them as my own. Paul says, I have the marks. I have the brand marks of the Lord Jesus Christ on me. Look at my back. The idea that God has marked us as his own is amazing, as, a, as special, a sign of ownership. By the way, the devil has his marks too. Revelation chapter 13 verse 16 says this, He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. 666, the Bible says what. I'm not sure what that means, but that's his brand mark. All I can tell you, 666 may mean nothing other than it's the brand mark of the beast. Six is the number of man. Three times is the the number of a trinity. So the unholy trinity, which is the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, the 666 may simply stand for the the, the uh, dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, the number of man, all three numbers, that just as much, that's as deep as it may go. But if you're part of the beast, he wants to know you're part of the beast, and he's going he's to brand you on the forehead or on the back of your hand. And, but it's not a new concept. God takes 144,000 in Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. says, look, and I looked, and lo, a, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, uh, having their father's name, written in their foreheads. He says in Revelation 7, 3, he tells the angel, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. A brand mark of the Lord Jesus. Man, I want the brand mark of the Lord Jesus. I'm thrilled that he wants me to be his own. He paid for me. He shed his blood for me. 
He conquered death for me. He's got every right to brand me, to mark me. And I think that's how these people, that's how Paul and Silas withstood all this. He understood, they understood this was part of the branding that God was doing. And he was growing their faith. So what happened? Poor Paul and Silas. Oh, an earthquake came, shook to heaven, loosed their their bands. Uh, He calls unto the Philippian jailer, Hey, don't hurt yourself. Don't kill yourself. We're all, we're all here. First of all, most, most people, when they have their bands loose and then the prison doors are open, but not a mature believer. He's there for the duration. And so, hey, we're all here. And because of that, the Philippian jailer gets saved and his whole house gets saved. How much is it worth to have one person save your whole lifetime, somebody that you directly led to Christ and have eternal life? How, what's that worth? Paul had this guy in his whole house saved because he took the whipping and, and matured and responded in a way that so shook that guy, he came in trembling. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Maturity. I'm going to make some statements here. Maturity is a deep understanding of what God is doing and why. It is settling on it with the eyes of faith. That's why you see the opposite reaction of Paul and Silas in here that you normally would see. Maturity is understanding what is really valuable and what is not valuable. It is forgiving all around you as you've been forgiven. It's resting in God's promises in the inner prison, beaten and in pain. It's singing in the darkness, seemingly hopeless. By the way, Paul and Silas did not start singing when they got thrown in the the jail there. They'd been singing long before that. You and I need to be singing the praises of God long before the test comes. You need to be rejoicing in the word of God and memorizing the scriptures long before our test comes. Maturity is a clear vision of heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's doing your duty in the face of fear. It's serving God when you, we're going to get nothing out of it visually. As, as Moses says in Hebrews, seeing him was invisible. Maturity produces longevity and quality of fruit. And that's what God is going for. Do you want something eternal, come out of your life? Do you want something deeply of deep quality to come out of your life? You're going to have to be mature. You're not going to stay married 50 years without some maturity. Mature people keep their hands on the plow and they don't look back. Mature people aren't cynical or pessimistic. Things are brighter today than when I first got saved. Things are better. Oh, the world's going to, the world always has been shot. The world's always been evil. There's no redemptive ability. The world's not going to be redeemed itself. It's going to be burnt by fire. And everything you see out here and everywhere you look is going to be destroyed by fire one day. It's not redeemable. Maturity helps you end well. The question I pose to you this morning, are you mature? 
Paul and Silas were. Father, we pray this morning that you'd help us. Your hand of mercy be upon us. You'd help us to have some of the very same qualities and characteristics we find in Acts chapter 16, verse 14 through 31. You put this in here for us. Of all the things that Paul and Silas did, only just a little few of them got in the Bible. But the ones we do have are for us so that we can understand what it means to be mature. Help us, Father, when it comes test time, when it comes testing time, that we would respond as a mature believer, that we by simple childlike faith would trust you in every direction. Now God, there may be some people in here that are born again, especially born again believers that have not done so well, that had testing come their way and they didn't respond like Paul and Silas. The Bible says if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you fail in your test, you can go to God and say, God, I failed, help me. Help me, and he'll help you. He'll encourage you and strengthen you, and you prepare you for the next opportunity. There may be some in here without Christ your Savior today. We'd love to show you what it means to be saved and have all your sins forgiven in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ by simple childlike faith, not by joining a church, not by doing better, not by trying to help, but by simple childlike faith in the Lord Jesus Christ with repentance and faith. Oh, let us know about it, please. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to be saved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you and God bless.